We're gonna rock and rain today. Time for lunch and learn. Little Torah, little Torah. Let me hold you tight. Teach me, teach me all the mitzvot so I can do them right. The Torah teaches every Jew. Torah, Torah, I love you. We really miss studying Torah together for the past six weeks during the busy holiday season, but we're back. It's Tuesday, 12.15 or so p.m., and we are ready and excited to study Torah together. I, Jody, and Amy, and and Vicky, and Rachelea, everybody joining on for our Torah class of uh, 60 minutes where we, uh, where we explore something from the Torah and make it relevant to our lives. Today's t- class is titled Rock and Rain. We're going to talk about a rock. We'll talk about rain as we delve into the teachings of the Torah. Okay, as usual, we have our source sheet either in your e- email inbox or on this Posts. There is a link to the source sheet that will appear, especially for today's lesson. And, <clears throat> you know, on the Jewish calendar, we have Jewish months. We have Nisan, that's the month of Passover. We have Sivan, that's the month of the giving of the Torah, the holiday of Shavuos. And we have sprinkles on ice cream and cheesecake. We have Tishrei, that's the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. Adar is the month of Purim, and now we find ourselves in the month of Cheshvan. Cheshvan, or Mar Cheshvan. That is the month, the Jewish month that we find ourselves in currently. Today is the 13th day of the month of Cheshvan. We're going to talk about a theme which is connected to this month, the month of Cheshvan. Every month has its theme, what it represents, and today we'll focus on the theme of the month. And, of course, with a story and lesson that is applicable to us living 20 in the year 2021, in the year 5782 since creation. Here we go. We're going to jump right into our lesson. Today's lesson is divided into three parts. Only three parts, not four parts. And here we go. Uh, today is Lunch and Learn number 144. You can take a moment to share this post so others can benefit from the Torah teachings. These are Torah sources from Talmud, from Midrash, from Hasidic teachings. And all we do is put them together and share them. So here we go. We'll start with our first section. The title is Rain. We'll talk about the theme of this month. The theme of this month is rain. We'll get to the rock soon. Why is this month associated with rain? Well, our eyes and hearts surround the country, our beloved land of Israel. And in Israel... This is the time of the year when it starts to rain. It doesn't rain all year long. Like over here, uh, how does it go? April showers, brings May flowers. Well, not in Israel. It doesn't really rain in April. The summer and the spring is very dry. If you have a couple of months in the wintertime where it rains, they are very, very lucky. And it's especially important because the stuff has to grow in the winter and early winter at this time of the year, the month of Cheshvan. The crops need to grow, and if it doesn't rain, then there can be a hunger. Things won't grow, the crops won't grow, the earth needs to be saturated with rainwater in order for the people to survive. Going back, especially back in the day when the Jewish 
people, all the entire Jewish nation lived in the land of Israel, you know, two, three thousand years ago. Many of them were farmers and worked the land. It was of great importance. It was vital to, for their survival, for there to be rain. But it does, it does not always rain in abundance during this month. So they came up with some tactics, how to get God to give rain. And the first quote takes us to the Mishnah in Tractate Tanis. There's actually an entire tractate of Mishnah and Talmud dedicated to what happens if it doesn't rain on time. Source number one, if the 17th of Mar Cheshvan, the 17th of the month of Mar Cheshvan arrived and rain has not fallen, individuals begin to fast three fasts for rain. So individuals, that is, uh, you know, the sages, uh, the, the rabbis, the leaders, they will take it upon themselves to fast, like Yom Kippur, well, not a, not a full night and day, but just a day. They would fast as a time of prayer and beseeching God to have mercy on their people and send rain. Now, the fast would usually be divided like a Monday, then a Thursday, then a Monday, give a couple of days of break. Now, if the month of Kislev, which is the next month after Cheshvan, so about two weeks later, arrived and rain has still not fallen, the court decrees three fasts on the entire community. So not just the individuals, but everybody should fast. And the Mishnah continues, and if a couple of weeks later still rain has not fallen, then excuse me, the fasts get more strict and uh, more strict and more fast throughout the winter season. Uh, fasting is a means to pray. On the fast day, they would gather together, high mark, they would gather together and say special prayers, beseeching God to have mercy on them, maybe and to improve their ways and connection to God uh, Hope in the hope that Hashem will have mercy on them and send them rain. So what we see is that... Uh, let's just finish the quote here. In source one, the Hebrew word mar means a drop of water. So although generally we just refer to the month as Cheshvan, like Tishrei, Cheshvan, Kislev, but the full name is Mar Cheshvan. Mar Cheshvan. What does the word mar mean? Well, one of the explanations given by the Prichadash, a great uh, rabbi who lived uh, about 450 years ago in Jerusalem, and he says that the word mar can mean a drop of water. So the month of Cheshvan, we add to its name Mar Cheshvan, because this is a month when we want drops of water to drop from the clouds, to drop from the heavens. It is the month associated with rain. Okay. Uh, actually, it's not just since the times of the Talmud, but it goes back, source number two tells us that the, the association of water and rain with the month of Mar Cheshvan goes back to the days of the Great Flood, which is approximately, mm, probably 4,200 years ago. Um, 4,200 years ago. Amy, can you allow, what do you mean there's nothing on the source sheet? I think I uploaded it. Is there nothing there? <clears throat> so, going back to the times, if, if it's not here, you can check your email. Going back to the times of the flood about 4,200 years ago, we're familiar with the story we just read it in the Torah two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, the story of Noah. Well, about 15, 1,600 years after creation, God was not very happy with the behavior of the people. Their behavior was corrupt. They robbed each other. They were not kind and honest to each other, worshiping idols. And God 
decides to wipe away the world and start fresh. But it was one man, Noah, and his family, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Total of eight people that were going to be saved from the flood by building an ark. And the ark would be floating around on this uh, magnificent ocean of water. Source number two, the Torah tells us, in the 600th year of Noah's life, Noah lived at 950 years, I believe. 950 years. Um, I mean, one second here, we can just make sure this, yeah, it should be the, try to try it again. I just tried it on the Facebook post here. The source sheet should be able to be downloaded. <clears throat> so the Torah tells us that Noah lived 950 years at age 600 in the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day. If anybody else is having trouble with the source sheet, Please uh, let me know in the comments. In the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst apart. And the floodgates of the sky broke open. The waters became exceedingly powerful and all the lofty mountains that were under the heavens were covered up. When did this take place? Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer says, this refers to Mar Cheshvan. So if we look, the Torah just says the second month. In the second month, Noah was 600 years old. In the second month of the year, that is when the great flood began. The floodgates opened from above and from below. And hot water, cold water, and the entire description the Torah describes. For 40 days and 40 nights, there was heavy, heavy rain. And then almost for a year, or a bit over a year, the waters were just raging all around the world. And... The ark was just floating. The entire uh, um, world, the top mountains, 15 cubits above the highest mountain. The water is covered. When did this begin? When did the floodgates of heaven open up? In the second month. Says Rabbi Eliezer, this refers to the month of Cheshvan, which is the second year of the second month of the year. Tishrei is the first month. We celebrate with Rosh Hashanah. Then comes this month, Cheshvan which is the second month. When did it begin? On the 17th day of the month is when the Mabul, that's how it's referred to in Hebrew and Yiddish, the Mabul, the flood of Noah began on the 17th of the month. No coincidence that the Mishnah tells us that if the 17th day of the month arrives and rain has not fallen, then the fast begins because this is a time of rain since the days of the flood. Now, once we're talking about the flood, something interesting, uh, there was actually a remnant of the flood for probably about 1,500 years after the flood ceased, was over. Source number three tells us, all of the years since the great flood, there were 40 days of heavy rain starting in Cheshun. Every year, even after the flood was gone, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, King Saul, Prophet Samuel, King David, up until King Solomon, about 1,500 years later, every year in the month of Cheshvan, there was like a um, a redo in a low uh, level, on a small scale, of the flood. There were 40 days every year of heavy raining, starting in Cheshvan. Even though God swore that there would not be another Mabul, he won't bring a full flood to wipe away the entire humanity, but some vestige of the Mabul remained, that there was this vestige that 
every year during that time of the year when the flood originally happened, there was like some sort of redo on a smaller scale. I believe the wording in Hebrew of the Midrash, the Yalkuchimoni is Roasha, the, the world, the, the, there was roaring rain. Until the world was in a state of potential destruction every Cheshvan. But God promised that even though people might be corrupt and be deserving of a, of a flood, nonetheless God will save them and not bring a, fl- a flood upon the entire world. But because there was a, obviously a potential for such destruction, there was very heavy rains at this time. Until when King Solomon completed the Holy Temple, the first Holy Temple on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, the effect of the Mabul ceased to be felt. That effect, the lasting effect, during that month of Hezvan, stopped and things calmed down. But what we see is that the month of Hezvan is associated with rain from the days of the flood when the, actual, when the flood began. And for many hundreds of years later, this month was dedicated and it till today is a time a rain is much needed in the Holy Land, the land of Israel in our homeland. And that is why, oh, we'll get to that in a moment, but no, no, one more source talking about the flood, just something fascinating, another vestige that we have till today from the days of the flood. Source number four. Uh, a couple of years ago, we took a trip to Israel, and one of the highlights, one of the things that I really wanted to, to see and feel were the hot springs of Tiberias. So Tiberias, in Hebrew, Tiberia, is a city on the shores of the Kinneret. Hello, Rosa. On the shores of the Kinneret. The Kinneret is the Sea of the Galil, the sea in the northeast of Israel. And there is a beautiful city of Tiberia, a very ancient city on the shores of the Kinneret. The Kinneret is the sea uh, which provides drinking water for all of the inhabitants of the Holy Land of Israel. And in this city, there are natural hot springs. Of course, we have natural hot springs all over the world, in many states and many other countries. But Israel is known, especially in this area, in Tiberia, Tiberias in English, for its hot springs. And they're very healing springs physically for all kinds of skin conditions. And where do they come from? They're natural hot springs tells us the Midrash that not necessarily were all of them in existence or open and accessible before the days of the flood. Source number four, God caused a spirit to pass over the earth and the water subsided. After about a year or a little less than a year, it was time for the flood to begin to subside. The springs of the deep were closed and the windows of the heavens and the rain from the heavens was withheld. Tells us the Midrash, every single word in Torah is precise and concise. There's no extra word and there's no uh, superfluous letters. When they were opened, it was written all the springs. But here, all is not written. Because those that were necessary for the world remained open. Such as the hot springs of Tiberias. The Midrash tells us that those hot springs were left over. They were left open. Something good happened from the corruption of those people. They were, might have been wiped away. But as a result, we got some natural hot springs that are accessible to us. And we can benefit from them. And the ones in Tiberias, those are left open since the days of the flood. The flood had hot water and cold water. And those were left open. So when the flood began, it says all of the the floodgates and the deep burst from the great deep burst open. Hi, Michael and Jan. 
But all of them were open, but when they were closed, it doesn't say all of them were closed, because most of them were closed, but some of them, the ones that the world can have benefit from them, were left open. So till today we have, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing, you know, to feel naturally hot water. It's just amazing. It's in the ground. We went to check them out. And uh, it's just cool. Where did it come from? It's a vestige of the days of the flood. Another vestige or artifact. They say that the, the Torah tells us that the Teva, the ark, landed on when the flood water started to subside. It rested on Mount Ararat. And... Uh, this has been, I forgot how to say it, the, the cord and something, uh, mountains or region. And there's a mountain there. If you Google it, Mount Ararat, somewhere in Turkey. And although the local government does not allow anyone to get too close, I'm not sure why, but there on, it's one of the tallest, I believe the tallest mountain in the world. And well, it's covered with snow, but apparently there are, there were seekers, that came across the ark, the remainders, uh, the remain, the remaining parts of this ark. The Torah gives a very explicit um, and detailed description of the measurements, and it seems to to be sticking out of the snow over there. Is some sort of old ship that fits the measurement. Uh, they they took some air, you know. Uh, what is it called? Bird's eye view uh, pictures from 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 with the different from planes and stuff. I don't think anyone actually recently found who got to this ark. But the Midrash tells us somewhere that Haman during the times of Purim, that's about twenty three four twenty four hundred years ago. Haman built a gallow for Mordechai to be hung, and it was fifty cubits high. Where did he get that from? Midrash tells us that Haman's son brought it from Noah's ark, which was excuse me fifty cubits wide. So there is mention of the ark even after the flood. It didn't disintegrate. It did not get banged out, uh, you know, sent to different museums. It just stayed where it was. And apparently, how would this massive ship get get there? Well, either it's true or it's not true. Nonetheless, it doesn't uh, shake our belief in the literal meaning and uh, uh, story of the ark. So getting back to the theme of the month, the month is Cheshvan associated with rain. In this month, we add, we begin to add, and throughout the months of the winter, we add a special prayer in the Amida, in the Shemona Esrei, the climax of the prayers when we stand up, put our feet together, and we say the 18 blessings. We insert over there a praise of God and a request for rain. Mashiva Ruach, we call to God who, who brings the wind, Umarid HaGeshem, who makes the rain fall. And we ask for rain. We ask not just for dew, like in the summer months, but we ask for rain. And this prayer is introduced a couple of days before the month begins on the holiday of Shemini Atzeret, one day before Simchas Torah. And in synagogue, in the shul, before we pray the Musaf, the Chazin, the cantor, introduces the, this, this, in, this new insert in our, in our prayers with a special prayer called Tfilas Geshem, the prayer of rain. It's very solemn. It's very serious. People, this was on what their livelihood and survival in times of days that um, everything was dependent on, on the farms and agriculture. So it was a very serious kind of prayer. And what do we do during this prayer? 
It's actually a similar tune to Yom Kippur. It's like really serious stuff. And hi, Jack. By the way, if you can hear me, please let me know. You can post in the comments. And if you have any questions, comments, rebuttals, you can save that for the end. But you can comment along the way and we'll get to it. So we introduce this with a couple of paragraphs of we invoke the merits of our forefathers and of our Jewish leaders that in their merits we should be blessed, we should be remembered, and God should give us water. So we begin with Avraham, the first Jew, our forefather, our patriarch Avraham. And we say in source number five, remember Avraham, we beseech God, who was drawn behind you like water. We find associations with each of these leaders uh, with water. We say, Avraham was drawn behind you. He was devoted and dedicated to you like water, like water streams and flows. That's how he followed after you, God. You blessed him like a tree replanted alongside streams of water. You blessed Avraham to have uh, a, a family tree and many descendants. For his sake, do not hold water back. And then we go on to the next one. You told his father to slaughter him, not to um, to spill his blood like water. That's referring to Isaac, his son Yitzhak, who Avraham was instructed by God to bring him his son up as, for, the, for the binding of Isaac as a sacrifice. You instructed him to slaughter and spill his blood like water, and they were ready to fulfill your command for his for the sake of his righteousness. Grant abundant water, and we go on to talk about Jacob and and others and constantly talking about their great virtues and merits, and in their merits, we, their children, should be blessed and granted a season, a wet season with much rain. Okay, let's move on to number six. Source number six is the next paragraph. Who can guess who we are talking about? We say, remember... The one drawn forth in a basket from the water. Who was drawn forth in a basket from the water? Which of our leaders? He drew water and provided the sheep with water. Another thing we talk about is greatness. That he provided the sheep when he came to meet his wife, Zipporah. And the shepherds chased away the girls. And he came and he helped them. And he drew water for them and their sheep. We're talking about Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, as a child, he was placed in the basket in the Nile and was saved by Batya, the daughter of the princess of King Pharaoh. And then we add this line over here, after all the great virtues that we talk and we say, in his merit, in the merit of Moses, such a kind and good man, we, his people, should be remembered. We add this line, when your people thirsted for water, he struck the rock and out came water. Talking about Moses and we're saying a story associated with water. That when your people, your cherished Jewish people were in the desert and Moses came along, he struck the rock and out came water. Now this line will be the focus of our attention for the next couple of minutes because this line is extremely troubling and puzzling. What is this line doing 
as a merit, as a virtue of Moses. We will see from the next section that this story is a catastrophe. It is something that we want to put under the rug, maybe, and not bring up to God's attention when we're asking for a blessing. The fact that Moses struck the rock was not a mitzvah. That was not what he was intended to do. And why are we bringing this up seemingly like a sin, something that he did out of order as a virtue that in its merit we should be granted water? But that's what we say here. That Moses struck the rock. Al Hasela Hach. He hit the rock. He struck the rock. Vayetz Umayim and water came out. Moses got water out of the rock. They say a story of a rabbi who was collecting funds for a young orphaned bride. And the need was great. And there's a mitzvah for a bride to be able to celebrate on the happiest day of her life with dignity and honor. And he went around collecting and he came to one home, a very wealthy individual, but was known as a miser. Barely gave any charity giving of his own was very tough for him. But the rabbi knocked on the door. He has a chance to give a Jew an opportunity to fulfill a mitzvah. And the rabbi was extremely persuasive, very persistent, and he succeeded in extracting from this miser a sizable check for the young bride's upcoming wedding. Phew! When he came out of the home, he wiped his, his, his forehead and he said to his um, assistant, he says, I am greater than Moses. He says, really? You're, I mean, they say you're very humble. What do you mean you're greater than Moses? He says, well, Moses succeeded in getting water out of a rock. I succeeded in getting money out of a rock. <clears throat> but nonetheless, the Jewish heart is always um, able to be awoken, to be generous for the mitzvah of charity. So Moses got water out of a rock. Let's take a look into the next section where we will explore the story and see how did this end up in our prayers for rain. Source number seven. If you're with us, say yes. If you're as excited as I am to study Torah once again after such a long break, say yes. Source number seven. So, you ever heard of the, the rolling stones? Well, the Jews in the desert had a rolling stone. They spent 40 years in the desert. And how did they take care of their needs? Source number seven, the Talmud tells us three good sustainers, rose up for the Jewish people, Moshe, Aaron, excuse me, and Miriam. They were all from the same family. Two brothers and a sister. They led the Jewish people. And three good gifts were given through their agency. What were the three gifts that were given to the Jewish people? Number one, the well of Miriam. Sorry, the well of water. Pay attention. The clouds of glory and the manna. The well was in the merit of Miriam. When Miriam died, the well disappeared. They had a well, which was a rolling stone. There was a stone that rolled along with the Jewish people throughout their 40 years sojourn in the desert. They camped here, they traveled, they camped there. This stone provided them with water. And that was a very important 
thing that the Jewish people needed. You know, they were in the desert, in the vast Sinai desert between Egypt and Israel, and there is not much water. And there were probably about 3 million Jews there. They needed water to drink, they needed water to bathe, and this provided them with water. The stone kept rolling and miraculously had a gush of water that was enough to provide for all of the Jewish people. So the manna was the food. That was in the merit of Moses. Aaron provided in his merit the clouds of glory. They were surrounded with clouds, and these clouds made them comfortable, provided uh, some shade, much shade from the scorching desert sun. And these clouds also washed their clothes and kept their clothes in good shape and in the right size for them, and also kept their feet uh, off the hot sand. But in the merit of Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron, they were provided with the water. And the Midrash goes into many details about this well. Source 8, the princes each drew water with his own staff for his own tribe. All the days that Israel was in the desert, they used the well. It accompanied them until it was hidden in the Sea of Tiberias. So all along those 40 years, each prince, the leader of each tribe, had a canal going to his encampment, his uh, tribe's territory, and it was just a, it was, it was like lakes and rivers going around the Jewish uh, t- uh, camp. The women would actually bathe in there. They had to go to the mikvah. They would do it in there. Uh, it was just an amazing source of water. But that happened until Miriam passed away because it was only in her merit. She died on the 10th day of the month of Nisan just five days before the onset of the holiday of Passover. And Miriam passes away. And what happens? There's no more merit of Miriam because she's not alive. And the the rock, the stone, this rolling stone stopped rolling and no water came gushing out. So what do Jews do? He quetch. Source number nine. Entire congregation arrived at the desert of Zin. In the first month, it's the first month of the months, which is the month of Nisan. Miriam died there and was buried there. The congregation had no water. They assembled against Moshe and Aaron. And they assembled and they started to quetch and they said, Source 10, why have you brought the congregation to this desert so that we and our livestock should die there? Why have you taken us out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place for seeds or for fig trees, grapevines, or pomegranate trees, and there's no water to drink. You promised us you're going to bring us to the Holy Land of Israel where there's an abundance of fruit and all these delicious fruits. We're still in the desert, and there's nothing to drink. They were fetching and whining and protesting and complaining, as Jews know how to do. So, what does God respond? Source, we turn to page source 11. The Lord spoke to Moshe saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and speak to the rock in their presence, so that it will give forth its water. Water will find that rock, and in their presence speak to them. And, sorry, speak to the rock. Tell the rock to give water. In Hebrew, Speak to the rock 
in their front of their eyes, and it will give water. I kneel. And you shall bring forth water for them from the rock and give the congregation and their livestock to drink. Take note. What was God's instruction to Moses? To speak to the rock. Tell the rock, Mr. Rock, give water. Source 12. What did Moses and Aaron do? They assembled the congregation in front of the rock. Moshe raised his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. When an abundance of water gushed forth and the congregation and their livestock Drink. Beautiful. Miraculous. God provided the Jewish people once again, even after Miriam's passing, they were provided with the rolling stone, which provided them with water. However, right afterwards, the Torah has something to tell Moshe and Aaron. He says, God said to Moshe and Aaron, source 13, since you did not have faith in me to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly to the land which I have given them. Yoshua, your disciple, Yoshua, Joshua, shall allot to them the land that you may only see. You can look at the land. Moses was led up to a mountain on the eastern Jordan, the Jordan's uh other side of Israel, the other side of the Jordan River, where he was able to see and view the Holy Land, but to actually enter and kiss the stone, the earth of Israel, the Holy Land, Moses was denied entry. Why? Because, God tells them, and Aaron, you did not have faith in me to sanctify me. You did something wrong over here in the story. What was wrong? Well, much ink has been spilled to explain the story, what exactly went wrong, and why there were such heavy repercussions. But Rashi tells us very simply that the problem was that God said to talk to the rock, and they didn't speak to the rock. They struck the rock. And God's instructions need to be followed to the T. Especially someone of the caliber of Moses. And because he disobeyed God's command, instead of speaking to the rock, he hit the rock, he was denied entry into the Holy Land of Israel. So why is this passage, this sentence, in our prayers for rain? This is no merit of Moses. The merit of Moses is that he provided for the sheep water for the girls that were being uh, humiliated and chased away. The merit of Abraham is that he was devoted to you like water. And the merit of Isaac is that he was ready to give his life up as a sacrifice, like flowing water. Just let his blood be, excuse me, be spilled. But why would we want to mention that Moses disobeyed God's command and struck the rock instead of talking to the rock? This should be omitted from our prayers for rain. How did this end up in our prayer book? And to make matters worse, one of the most beautiful moments is Simchas Torah during the Hakafot, during the dancing with the Torahs. And we have traditional melodies that we sing when we dance with the Torahs. And by our Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, in 770 Eastern Parkway, one of the most liveliest moments was when this shul was packed with thousands and thousands of men and women in the women's gallery and children, of course. And the Rebbe was in the center holding a small Torah 
and he would sing this song, they would sing the song, On the rock, bang, he banged, he struck the rock, and out came water. On the rock, bang, bang, on the rock, bang, 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 on the rock, bang, bang, out came water. And it goes, we say it in the Hebrew words, And we're singing these words. Why would we be singing words which demonstrate Moses' failure? That he did not follow through with God's command to the T. Instead of talking to the rock, he hit the rock. And because of that, he was denied entry. If Who wouldn't want to live in Israel? The Jewish people were waiting for so long to finally be able to resettle in Israel. And Moses yearned and cherished the land of Israel. He prayed to God 515 prayers that he should be allowed to join and settle, be in the land of Israel. And he was denied that because he disobeyed God's command to speak to the rock. He hit the rock. Why would we want to mention this? That in this merit, we should be granted rain. In the merit of our forefathers, what kind of virtue is this? Obviously, there's a missing piece of the puzzle. Comes the teachings of Hasidus, Hasidic teachings based on the teachings of Kabbalah, and sheds light on the story how this was not a dark moment in Moses in the in Moses's career. Rather, this was a shining moment. How so? Let's take a look in source in source number fourteen in our third section. Okay. Source 14, Rashi tells us what exactly was the sanctification of God's name that would have occurred had he spoken to the rock. So Rashi tells us from the Midrash, For had you spoken to the rock and it had given forth water, I would have been sanctified in the eyes of the congregation. They would have said, if this rock, which neither speaks nor hears and does not require sustenance, fills the word of God, how much more so should we? What would have happened if Moses carried through with God's specific instruction to talk to the rock? So Moses would stand there and have the rock sitting on the ground and all the Jews are watching. And Moses says, Mr. Rock. God said to give water, and water would have gushed forth. The Jews would have said to themselves and taken a lesson, Hey, look at this rock. This rock doesn't have ears. This rock doesn't talk. This rock doesn't need sustenance. It just sits there. doesn't need God's help as much as we do. And yet, as soon as God's command comes to him, to the rock, it complies and gives water how much more so should we Jews? We have ears. We have. We can talk. We need God's sustenance. How much more so if God speaks to us? God told us at Mount Sinai to do the right thing and follow the Torah. How much more so should we follow in the ways of God? So that was God's plan, sort of. And that's why God instructed them specifically to talk to the rock, to speak to the rock. Instead, Moses takes a left turn and he hits the rock. Why did Moses strike the rock? Was he just disappointed at the Jews' complaints? Or was it calculated? Was it very deliberate? 
Source number 15. When Moshe approached the rock to speak to it, he suddenly understood the implications of what he was about to do. Here he was, merely speaking to a rock, and completely unnaturally, if not miraculously, the rock would listen to his command and carry it out. What would that say about the Jewish people? How many times had they heard God's word directly, yet not heeded it? Here Moses is talking to the rock. How many times did the Jews themselves hear God's commands at Mount Sinai and not heeded it, unfortunately? How many times were they, uh, were they the beneficiaries of God's abundant kindness? And yet so often, how many more times were they unable to overcome temptation and ignore God's word? That a rock would hear a command, but once and supernaturally follow it would create a tremendous prosecution against the Jewish people. And that was something Moshe wasn't prepared to do. If Moshe would go and hit the rock and water would gush forth, that would not cast a good eye on the Jewish people. It would put the Jewish people in a bad light. Look at their history of 40 years in the desert. They heard explicitly from God not to worship idols. They worshipped idols. They heard from God that they will be taken and brought to the land of Israel and they complained and they despised and this and that. So many times the Torah records that the Jewish people complained. Even after coming face to face with God. So the rock listening just by word, by being instructed by Moses, this is what God said, and they would listen right away, that would not look too good for the Jews. So Moshe is standing there and he says to himself, I am a leader of the Jewish people. I love the Jewish people no matter what they do, no matter their behavior, no matter how much they complain and whine and fetch. These are my people. They are my flock. I am their leader. God tells me to speak to the rock in order to teach the Jews a lesson. But I am not on always on God's side. I am on the Jews' side. I am the lawyer of the Jews. And I need to do everything to defend the Jews. And to protect my people. Because they're my people. And I cherish them no matter what. And Moshe makes a decision. A very critical decision. A life-changing decision for Moshe. And Moshe says, I'm not going to talk to the rock. I'm going to hit the rock to show that it's not so easy for the water to come out. You don't just hear God's word. I'm going to spank this rock. And only then the water came out. One spanking, a second time. It wasn't so easy like it would have seemed if he just spoke to the rock. Source number 16. God, Moshe, we know, loved the country of Israel. I pleaded with God, let me cross over and see the good land. We find many times mentioned in the Torah that Moses pleaded with God. He had a burning desire to see, not just see, to feel and live in the land of Israel. It was either his deepest personal desire of being able to enter the Holy Land, or it was his whole life's mission of devotion to the Jewish people. At this critical juncture, Moshe would have to choose one over the other. He can't have both. Moshe realized that if he's going to not talk to the rock as God instructed, but rather hit the rock, he may protect the Jewish people, but he'll lose out on 
something very important like coming into the land of Israel. If he chooses to come into the land of Israel, his people would be put in a bad light. <laughs> Look at them. They don't always listen to God's word and this rock just hears God's word and listens. Moshe would have to choose one of the other. He declared the Jewish people, my flock always come first. That is why we mention this passage in the prayer for rain. We ask God, we're asking God to remember us on this day, to grant rain, to grant us livelihood, the crops should grow, we should have an abundance of, <clears throat> of food and so on. In whose merits? Maybe we're not worthy. Are we really deserving of all of this? So we tell God, be like Moses. Moses stood there for us and gave up his personal benefit of entering the land of Israel to protect us, even though you were not deserving. We may now have always heeded your word, and yet Moshe loved us for who we are, not for who we can be, but for who we are, or for what we can be, not, what, not for what, even though our behavior may have not been perfect, and we're not so deserving, Moshe loved us. And we're asking God, we implore God, do the same. Remember Moses, he struck the rock. He, didn't, he wasn't just upset and he lost it because his sister just passed away and the Jews are complaining and, and he was just fed up with us, with the Jews, and just struck the rock and didn't hit, talk to the rock. No, it was very deliberate. It was a shining moment of Moshe's career. His devotion for the Jewish people was shining forth in this act. That if this act, even though he may deviate from God's precise instruction, if it's going to protect the image of the Jewish people, Moshe was ready to sacrifice that. Even though they were undeserving, we ask God do the same. Grant us rain, even if we may not be so deserving. Learn from your servant Moshe. And we dance and we sing on Simcha's Torah with these words. And we're talking about the virtue of Moshe who demonstrated to us that it's not about me. It's always about the other. And every Jew is precious no matter their behavior. And this is what we dance with on Simcha's Torah. We dance with the Torah. Every Jew is connected to the Torah no matter what their, their religious level. No matter where they're holding, they're a Jew. They're part of Am Yisrael. And we dance together as Moshe demonstrated by striking the rock. He didn't want to talk to the rock. And this is not just ancient history and not just for leaders if you're looking to be a leader. And this is a quality. This is a quality of the first Jewish leader of Moshe. But each of us, each and every one of us, we have influence on somebody in our lives. We are a leader. Source number 17. And we are all leaders in our own way. Whether it's the head of your family, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, you have some sort of influence. You can have an impact or the leader of your surroundings, whether it's your business colleagues or clients, or if you're a celebrity, your followers, your fans, somewhere in some way you are already a designated leader as there are people who look to you and rely on you for either sustenance, guidance, or both. With your social media account, you can be a leader. Here Moshe demonstrates to us and teaches us the quality 
of a leader. And so be like Moshe. Remember that a critical component of any good leadership is sacrifice, foregoing what's precious or important for you for the sake of another. Instead of fetching and whining why we are not getting this and we are not getting that, let's think about somebody else. Let's be a leader. Now there's a Hasidic saying that God made Something out of nothing. There was nothing here before. God took nothing and he created something. He created this world. And our job is to take that something and make it back into nothing. To take our something that we feel so proud of ourselves, we feel ourselves so strongly, and put ourselves on the side for somebody else. Make that something sort of into nothing. Bring it, make, make it holy and make it, put it aside for somebody else. That's the quality of leadership that we invoke on Shmini Atzeres when we're asking God to grant us rain. Now, if you're wondering about the well of Miriam, the rolling stone, what ended up happening with that stone that taught us such a great lesson? So the Talmud tells us, excuse me, quite interesting, source number 18. One who wants to see Miriam's well, which accompanied the Jewish people throughout their sojourn in the desert, should do the following. You should climb to the top of Mount Carmel, one of the great mountains in Israel, and look out, and you will see a rock that looks like a sieve in the sea, and that is Miriam's well. Miriam's well, as we saw before also in a previous source, landed in the sea, the Sea of the Galil. Well, some say in the Mediterranean Sea, but generally it's said that it's in the Kinneret, that's the name of the sea, by the city of Tiberia, Tiberias. And I actually looked this up before, and apparently, um, I don't know what they're called, fishermen or sailors, people that spend time in the sea over there, they talk about something interesting, that at some spot in the sea, there's something unnatural, there's like this deep kind of pit that uh, hard to get there, and, and apparently they say this might be where the stone and the well of Miriam landed. Be'era shall Miriam, the miraculous well of Miriam. And in Jewish custom, not very well, you know, widely practiced, but it is brought in the code of Jewish law, source number 19. There are some who are accustomed to draw water from the wells or natural springs every Saturday night. So after Shabbos, they go over to a well, a natural spring, and they draw some water and drink it. The rationale is that our sages said that the well of Miriam passes through all the wells and natural springs every Saturday night. Anyone who encounters it and drinks of its waters will be immediately healed from all his afflictions. Therefore, they are accustomed to draw water every Saturday night since perhaps they will chance upon the well of Miriam. So Saturday night is an opportune time to try to get some water of the well of Miriam. Somehow it travels through all springs. Sounds a bit mystical, but some have a custom. It is brought down in code of Jewish law to draw some water. I have not seen this really practiced, but it's um, recorded in the code of Jewish law. So we have some um, practical, relevant uh, kind of custom related to this well. I want to conclude with a story which perhaps expresses this, shows this quality in a modern-day Jewish leader. So 
one of the chief rabbis of Israel, um, I think in the late 80s and 90s, I think it's 10 years at a time, they have a Sephardic chief rabbi and an Ashkenazic chief rabbi. The Sephardic chief rabbi, very well known, was a man named Mordechai Eliyahu. Mordechai Eliyahu was a great man, a holy man, a Kabbalist. And I was actually at his funeral 11 years ago in the city of Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands of people. It was like dangerous to be there. So many people were in attendance. And he lived in Jerusalem. He had a yeshiva. Great man. Story goes like this. During his time as rabbi, chief rabbi, there was a boy who had lost his father. He was a young boy. And he was an orphan. His father had passed, leaving many children. And the oldest was this boy. And his mother was muchinzich. You know, his mother, we say in Yiddish, she was uh, trying to make ends meet to support the family and get through the hard times. Literally counting the pennies or the shekels. And finally, after a year or two, the boy has his bar mitzvah. It's about a month or two before uh, the holiday season. Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot. The boy's all excited. Finally, his bar mitzvah. And he comes home, he tells his mother, Mom, Ima, I'm so excited, I'm 13 years old, now that I'm 13, I can have my own set of the four kinds, you know, the lulav and the etro for the holiday that we shake the four kinds. So if you give me some money, I'll go out and I'll buy it for us now that I'm already a bar mitzvah boy. Mother, mother says, you know, Bubala, my little boy, my young, you know, big boy now, bar mitzvah boy, this is expensive. I, I We can hopefully have enough money to buy food for the holiday meals and uh, nice clothing for, for the children, a Shabbos clothing, holiday clothing. I don't think we'll be able, I'll be able to give you enough money to buy a set of the four kinds. Why don't you, for the next couple of weeks, after school, after yeshiva, go out, make some money, do some work, and with that money, you'll be able to buy the four kinds. So the boy does that the next couple of weeks, works really hard, makes a couple of shekel, enough to purchase a set of four kinds. After schwitzing for many weeks, a few days before the holiday, he goes to a Esrog dealer and he's looking around. It's his first time. He's 13 years old. He's so proud of himself that he worked so hard and he finds a box and he's looking for a nice, beautiful Esrog. You know, he collected the money. And uh, there are different grades to the estrog, you know, basic, nice, beautiful. And he goes to one box that says, Mahudar, extra quality, beautiful estrog. And he takes this box and goes over and he gets the lulav and the other stuff. And he pays for it with his bag of shekels. And he's all proud, big smile on his face. He comes home and he wants to show his mother the estrog that he bought. He opens the box. And he takes out a dirty, badly shaped esrog. And tears come to his eyes. He has been tricked. This is no beautiful esrog. I don't even know if this esrog is kosher. The skin of the fruit is peeling over here. It's banged up over here. 
this is a beautiful asterisk. It's that beautiful on the box. And he's very, very sad. And he decides to go to his neighbor. A few houses down from him was the home of the chief rabbi, Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu. And he doesn't even know if this esrog is kosher. He takes the esrog and he goes over, he knocks on the door and he says, Rabbana, Ra- Maran, our master, is this a kosher esrog? The rabbi takes it. He's looking at it this way, that way. Finally, he says, kosher. Okay, it's kosher. Passes the bar. He says, is it mudar? Is this a beautiful? The Torah says we should have a beautiful one. Is it beautiful? He's looking again and again. He says, kosher. The rabbi wouldn't say that it's mahudar, that it's beautiful. It wasn't beautiful. Beautiful means that it's clean. There's no specks of, there's, there's no peeling. It's nicely shaped and the color and so on. But it's kosher. So what could the boy do? He turns around and he goes down the steps. And suddenly, the assistant of the rabbi calls him back. He says, young boy, come back here. He goes back in and the rabbi says, I have a deal for you. I want to get, switch with you. I want to give you my esrog, my beautiful esrog, and I will take your esrog. And the boy doesn't want to do that. <laughs> he feels bad. He's going to give his esrog, and the rabbi, the rabbi is going to have this, um, you know, not very beautiful esrog. But the rabbi insisted, and they made the trade. And the boy's face is shining. A beautiful esrog the rabbi had was selected for the rabbi, beautiful, shiny, yellow, and clean, comes home, he shows his mother, and there's happiness and joy in the home. But the boy was wondering, is the rabbi really going to use my esrog? So the first day of the holiday, he made his way to the synagogue of the rabbi, and sure enough, he sees that the rabbi took out his dilapidated, his banged up, kosher, but not so beautiful esrog. This is a leader of the Jewish people. Somebody who puts himself on the side, puts his own personal spiritual benefit on the side for the sake of the happiness of a young orphan boy. His people. We should do the same. This wraps up our lesson for today. Lunch and Learn number 144. We studied about the month of Cheshvan, the month associated with rain. And this prayer is introduced. The prayer for asking for rain is introduced, invoking the merits, invoking the evoking the merits of our forefathers and of Moses. And we explained, we explored the story of Moses striking the rock to protect the image of the Jewish people, even though he gave up his <coughs> rights to enter the land of Israel just to be their first people. That's a leader. We should put ourselves on the side for somebody else, not just about us. Life is not about our desires, our joys and pleasures. Life is about the things that we do when we put ourselves on the side for somebody else. That's a leader, and we are all, can all be a leader like Moses. Thank you for joining us for our Lunch and Learn number 144. Feel free to share, or please share this post. Others can benefit from the teachings of Torah. And I hope to see you next time for another session of studying Torah together. Sei gesund and have a wonderful day.